podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of our new cricket series, The State of Play. And this is episode number two. You can find this show and all our other shows in video format at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation, plus the audio versions available at all the usual podcasting and radio apps and platforms. The links are in the description below. And, of course, we do many shows on different, uh, different subjects, MMA, football, cricket, mental health, loads of other stuff. Uh, we have expert uh, expert analysts, top guests, and more. Loads of uh, interesting people, which I'll, I'll talk about some of them in a minute. Uh, follow the show on social media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Get involved in the conversation. But uh, joining me today is uh, one third of our usual trio. Is uh, West Indies batsman Mr. Kieran Powell. How are you doing, buddy? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I've. Uh, I, I left. I just realised I left the uh, the intro with the Test Match Special music on there. I had to edit out though when I when I put the podcast out because I got a copyright strike straight away. Soon I knew it was coming though. Knew it was coming. And uh, our guest today is uh, another West Indies international, Middlesex fast bowler, Mr. Miguel Cummins. How are you, my friends? I'm good. Um, been a lovely day in London. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chat. Like, Miguel, I'm assuming you, you're desperate to get back playing in some form. Um, is there any news on when that's likely to be? They've had some meetings and stuff, and I think they decided on what we're going to be playing, but no fixtures or anything have come out as yet, so we're just waiting on that. It's got to be frustrating. got to be frustrating. Um so what we like to do when we have a guest is uh, just to, to let our viewers get to know you and your, your tastes and such is uh, we give you the Magnificent Seven, which is seven questions, just quick fire questions, just got to say the first thing which comes to mind. And uh, okay, so we've got Magnificent Seven for Miguel Cummins. First one, uh, Curtly Ambrose or Malcolm Marshall? Malcolm Marshall. Dwayne or Darren Bravo? That's Dwayne. harsh, that is. Oof. Uh, Flintoff, Stokes, or both of them? Both of them. Uh, greatest West Indian batsman of all time? Burrow. It's not even close, is it? Uh, favourite favorite ground to play? Kensington Oval. Best roommate? Mm. I don't really have any roommates, pretty much, so... Oh, I must yeah. say, well, I would say my old buddy back home, Omar Phillips. Okay. And uh, the laziest trainer you've ever played with? Trainer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, none of those. One of your teammates. Wow. <laughs> yeah, plenty I could, that could just boom. <laughs> The laziest one. Joey. Joe Melwarkin. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we had Kieran done that last week as well, and I did. It was always just, uh, just a bit of an icebreaker to let people know. But, um, you know, greatest West Indian batsman of all time. I think it's, I think nine times out of ten, it's going to be Brian Lara. Got to be. But um, being a, a, a Welshman, I do lean towards uh, Viv Richards myself, but because he played for Glamorgan for so long. But uh, you, yeah, you can't. Brian Lara, though, is just broke. We're going to talk about him a li- little bit later, actually. But um, he comes up in the quiz as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's just it was just ridiculous. Like 
as a as an England cricket fan, when we used to play against the West Indies when Brian Lara was playing, it was just depressing because he would just kind of you they'd get like a, an early wicket or something, and then he'd come in and then bat for three days, score like three hundred, and it was just it's just a, just 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 a waste of time watching it in terms of any chance of winning. Yeah, so. Kieran, how have you been, mate, anyway? What have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, this week's actually my off week from training. We had a fitness test last week, uh, so past that, all my training has been worth it. Um, and now it's time for the body to recover, so I've been sleeping a lot. Uh, not much happening. Was looking forward to seeing some test match cricket today, but... Didn't happen. Numbers, so... Pretty much expecting the same thing with the weather report for tomorrow, but hopefully we get some more. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could get a bit more in tomorrow. Um, Miguel, how has it been for you in the, in this period, like lockdown and just the whole COVID nineteen thing and stuff? Uh, for me, it was it's been tough, hard. I'm away from my family and stuff. Um, not playing. It's been better. I've been playing, but. I haven't bowled a ball since March, since we came back from preseason from Oman. So it's been good now to like actually get about running and bowling and stuff now um, since last week. So looking forward to playing some cricket coming up. Yeah, that's the thing. It's frustrating. It must be really difficult as well, like not just to be in this, you know, in the situation that everyone's in. But to be away from your family as well, this got to be makes it ten times harder then, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of tough. But my family is a strong family, so they they're riding out as well. Cool. So, how much of the today's seventeen over uh, masterclass did you watch today, uh, Kieran? Uh I'd say. Pretty much all of it. It was hard to miss anything. It was so quick. Yeah, it wasn't there. It wasn't up too much. And what the West Indies still managed to um, to pick up a, a wicket by Dom Sibley, left one that he shouldn't have, and um, always looks terrible. As we were just saying just before we started, it just looks terrible when you leave one like that. But um, what do you think his thinking was? Because it didn't look good. Well, um. He wasn't in the Caribbean on the last tour, was he? So I don't no. Think he um, fished Shannon Gabriel before, but that's pretty much what Shannon does, is um, get the ball to cut back into the right-handers sharply. Um, obviously, he's bowling with a bit of pace today as well, which um, made it more exaggerated, the movement. But I think what did Sibley was the fact that the ball before actually went away from him. Yeah. So he was probably shaping to leave it, but because Shannon went so wide in the crease and then the angle coming back in as well, he thought he might have covered his stump, but I guess, you know, everyone hasn't played cricket for quite some time, so a lack, lack of judgment, you know, you can't really kill him first innings back. Um, he'd be studying that tonight and going into the second innings as well, so hopefully he'll make an adjustment. Well, hopefully he won't make an adjustment. <laughs> for yeah, I think. It's harsh, isn't it, if you start um, like really criticising and going in on players if they don't perform in these initial return matches, just because it's been so long since you know since anyone's like Miguel just said hasn't bowled a ball since March, and I know like the guys who are playing in the Test have had the practice match the other day and stuff like that, but they still haven't had a great deal of uh, training practice going in, really getting to it. So you can't really cru- cru- crucify anyone if they make a mistake too much. Um, but, you know, he does need to make sure he doesn't keep doing it, I suppose. Um, Miguel, did you catch any of that day today? Uh, seven, no, 17 not, overs of it? Not really. I saw a couple of clips, but I was training um, this morning. So the last majority of the day, I, was, I have been asking about the scores during that practice. So they were telling me the scores and stuff, but and mm. I haven't seen the ball. Ah, okay. So, Kieran, did anyone um, anyone stand out for you in the 17 overs on the West Indies side? I think um, you pretty much expected Roach to do what he did, especially in those types of conditions. Um, 
I think he could have probably made the batsman play a bit more, especially Burns. Um, he's getting the ball to leave him, but he's probably starting a bit too wide. I think that if he came a bit closer, he'd have probably gotten Burns or gotten some sort of an opportunity. Um, so I just think that's something that he'll probably rectify tomorrow, someone with his experience. And I think the rest of the bowling unit did pretty much what they expected them to do. I think Alzari does it for a little bit quicker than what I expected him to bowl. Um, especially in English conditions, which it's quite difficult to bowl fast. So, um, overall, the guys look good. Uh, going at just about two and over, you'd live with that as a captain, as a team. So, I think it was it, an easy contest so far. Yeah, I think so. England recovered pretty well. I feel like um, Burns is one of those guys where he'll give chances early on, but once he's in, he's a bit more difficult to dislodge. So the West Indies will want to try and get at him, you know, first thing tomorrow, whenever that is. And obviously, because there's so much rain, there's going to be a lot of breaks as well. So you'd expect it to be difficult for the batsmen because they are going to have to keep coming in in and out. Was there any surprises in the team for you, for, from either side? Uh, I think we pretty much knew that they weren't going to play straight broad. I don't know what came as, as a surprise to most people. Um, so, I think the England team pretty much lined up as we expected it to from the 13 possible players. Um, for the West Indies, I think, obviously most people would have thought that Rakeem Cornwall might have played in his last test match, the roads that he achieved. Um, and as well as the reports being that the pit is actually a bit dry down in Southampton. Um, so... It's also a bit surprising to me that England actually chose to to bat first, um, playing four seamers. I, I thought that they would have tried to exploit whatever early conditions they could have, especially with the place being overcast and, and the rain and stuff, you know, to try and give Jimmy and the other bowlers the best possible chance to get some early wickets. So, a few interesting tactics, but we'll see how, they, how the four days come. Yeah, I definitely thought they would bat first, uh, sorry, field first, um, and I was surprised by that. I think the um, the biggest surprise, I think, in terms of, not necessarily a surprise for me, with I did expect Jimmy Anderson to play, but I was surprised that they left Broad out, simply because Jimmy Anderson, I think, has broke down in three of his last four tests, or two of his last three. Um, so it, there's that kind of risk there, but... And then when you look at the conditions and Jimmy Anderson plays, to not field first was strange to me. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, all right. So there's a couple of things which I was going to ask you guys about, first of all. Um, so uh, the king, Mr. Sashin Tendorka, uh said over the last couple of days that he thinks... Um, Jason Holder is the most underrated all-rounder in the world. Um, I don't, simply because I don't think... I think he is one of the best all-rounders in the world. We obviously we talked about it last week, um, Kieran, but I was interested what you thought, Miguel, about that. Um, do you think? Do you feel like Jason Holder doesn't get the credit that he deserves? Uh, yes, yes, I do. Um, he does an amazing job, to be honest. Comes in, scores runs, come. He also gets wickets. Uh, if you look at all, um, a lot of the all rounders they're comparing against, he doesn't get enough scores at, um, like a lot of them. Yeah. But he does his job the way he knows how to do it. And the ranking and all these statistics uh, speak for itself. So. If you're going by statistics, he's the number one all around in the world. You've got to give him credit for for being the number one all around in the world. His stats say his stats say he's the number one all around this world. and in the cricketing world, stats say a lot. Yeah, I think they do. In, in in many ways, I think stats say more in cricket than a lot of other sports. Um, like I follow football vividly, and sometimes I get fed up with stats because they don't tell the whole story. Whereas I think in cricket, stats do tell a lot of the story in terms of 
whether it's runs conceded by a bowler, runs scored by a batsman, whatever it may be. Um, Kieran, what's your views on kind of what Sashin has said there about Jason Holder being, you know, the most underrated all-rounder in the world? Because obviously we talked about him last week and how good he is. I think that it's, it's all down to the fact that West Indies cricket isn't as covered as much globally as other, other nations. You know, we don't have particularly big media outlets. Um, so when you look at it, you've got a Ben Stokes to it. If he makes a half century, he could be amplified. It's, it's put out to the world by so many various news outlets. Um, Shaki Balasan, being from Bangladesh, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, as opposed to Jason Holder, if he if he does anything in the Caribbean, we don't have great coverage of our games on media outlets to relay that information. So I think that's where his performances get lost in translation to the rest of the world. But the ICC, obviously, the ones that are tracking um, all the stats and stuff, obviously they've ranked him number one. For, I think it's almost two years now. You know, so. That's a, that's a long period, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's that's what stands out for me. It's not just the fact that he does it and he does it consistently, but he's done it over a long period of time. And at the end of the day, that's what that's what the best players do is they don't just do it for you know a couple of months or six months or even a year. They do it for longer and they keep going and they keep performing at that top level. And I think, you know, for someone to be number one for that long, they deserve um, all the credit in the world. And when you look at some of the other all-rounders, you know, which are around, like the guys which you just mentioned, it's a it's a strong list of top players. The other thing I was interested in was, uh, was T10 cricket, which um, I read like a little article which basically said that T10 cricket has reignited uh, the sport in Fiji. You know, I wasn't massively aware that cricket was big in Fiji, to be honest. But um, we talked a lot about, well, we talked about the 100 on the last episode. But um, what's your views on the T10 as a, as a concept, uh, Miguel? I think it's a concept, yeah, to be honest. Uh, that and T20. I think in T10, they could have a lot more opportunities for players to get involved. Yeah, into um, leagues, a lot more teams can be built instead of just uh, the tournament of seven teams. You can say twelve teams or seven, or even add it in as uh, Olympic um, sport as well to give players the opportunity to represent the country if they have not certain players. I think yeah. it's pretty good. I think um, people are quick to kind of criticize or jump on new ideas or new concepts or things and say, oh, it damages test cricket or it damages the, the brands which are already in place. But at the end of the day, I think anything which helps cricket grow globally and, you know, just generally become a bigger sport is probably a good thing. Um, what's your views on T10, Kieran? Uh, yeah, as I mentioned last week, I think that T10 is probably the way to grow cricket. If you want to get cricket into sort of the Olympics and that sort of stuff, you know, make it truly a global game because I think that's what football has over cricket at the moment. You know, it's the time for it. Um, test cricket is obviously for traditionalist people. And if you're going to take test cricket to nations that don't have the basic understanding of cricket, you know, they won't be able to A, appreciate what's happening, but B, have the amount of time to keep coming back for five days or even a 40 match to be looking at it something that's just you know going along so slowly over the period of such a long time but if you take t10 which would be pretty much just an hour's cricket around the world that's something that people can easily relate to um, that's something that can grow the game in foreign markets whether it's um, south america um, northern asia places like china etc or places like Fiji and those countries where cricket could really take off and make a massive difference because you know you never know what new skills players from these countries may bring to the game as well, what new technology 
the different idealizations of, of the game from different vantage points. So it's it's interesting um, season. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about that. Um, that side of it for the like the Olympics, for instance, is something which I you know I, I would love to see that one day is have like T10 during the Olympics, and you would need a shorter form of the game to to grow it in those areas of the world, like you say. Um, do you think that if T10 was to really start gaining some uh, some fans and and gaining some traction, do you think it could potentially damage other short forms of the game? I don't think so. I think that cricket needs to expand as much as possible because the more people you have playing the game, the better it is. Um, as I said, I think I think personally for me, FIFA is the best um, sports organize, organizing body. Um, and just look at how they've spread football around the world where it's pretty much played in every country. And I think um, the ICC needs to take a page out of that book and you know, you could have different tiers, obviously, because the, the disparity between a Fiji and a West Indies or Australia is going to be very vast at the moment. But, you know, these are areas that they could improve at those levels of the game very quickly, as opposed to bringing them into test cricket, which will take a much longer time for them to adapt. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at um, even over probably, what, say the last 10 to 15 years, some of the some of the nations which have been brought more to the forefront within cricket, like Ireland, um, like Afghanistan, have obviously done well. But they've, you know, Afghanistan. I got to say, they're one of my favourite teams to watch uh, in the one day cricket, particularly. But it, you know, um, they. Uh, what was that? I'm trying to think of some of the other teams. Hong Kong, I think, played in some of the T20 World Qualifiers and stuff like that. Scotland, Scotland's a team as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think no Wales team yet, though. Canada. Canada, yeah. Wales, you're part of England. Uh, <laughs> can't be having that at all. But it, do you know what it is? I, was, I, um, I filmed an episode of my story this morning with um, with Adam Hollyoak, and um, I was talking to him about the fact, obviously, he was born in Australia, but then went on to Captain England, and I was kind of interested in whether. He found it difficult when he was facing Australia. Did he? Does he feel English? Does he feel Australian? Because um, he moved to England as I think he was about twelve, um, and he basically said he doesn't feel Australian and he doesn't feel English. He just kind of feels like what he is. He doesn't. Um, he didn't feel when he was playing for England. He didn't feel the same as like the guys who were you know booming out "God Save the Queen" and and this sort of thing. But he also was you know professional and he wanted to win every game and he he found that he wanted to to beat Australia uh you know a lot but going back to my kind of where I was going with that is I so I played cricket I was I'm a bit older than I a little bit and um I sort of played like county cricket as a kid up to about 16 and then I discovered girls and other things which I found much more interesting but that we won't talk about that and um and then, really, like I was thinking about the other day, is like in every sport, I'm Welsh. I I I wouldn't say I was anti-England, but I'm like there's a competitive rivalry between Wales and England in football and rugby and in everything. But whereas, if I had ever been good enough to play for an international cricket team, I would have. After I think it's under 16s, there's no Welsh team. You play for England. Um, and I've always supported England in cricket because it is England and Wales. But um, I find it fascinating that there's, you know, there's a Scottish team, there's an Ireland team, but the Welsh team is still integrated within that under the English umbrella. Whereas, obviously, Owen Morgan uh, played for Ireland initially, um, and then I don't even know if you would say switched allegiance because I think at the time. Island, the island, Irish cricket setup was completely different, but anyway, I am completely gone off on a tangent there about all sorts of stuff. So I apologise, but well, I tell you, well, I'll follow up to that, and I'll ask you guys what I asked um, 
Adam Holyoke was why do you think like it's happening in all sports more now but in cricket it's kind of always been this thing whereby you see a lot of players who are born in different places but they won't necessarily end up playing for that country for whatever reason like you've got Kevin Peterson who's born in South Africa ended up playing for England um, and there's you know there's a lot of the the English players over the the years who've not you know Graham Heck uh, Andrew Strauss why do you think there are so many cricketers who maybe are born in different or born in one nation and then go on to play for a different nation? Uh, Miguel, we'll start with you, mate. Um, <clears throat> I think it'd be opportunities. Um, a lot of them would not get the opportunities back playing for their country or regional regional team. Um, so I think that'd be, be the deal for them to do to go somewhere else and enhance their cricketing ability and just try to come out in there. What about honest. you, uh, Key? Yeah, I think it's the same thing because if you look at um, Kevin Peterson, they said he wasn't getting into um, provincial teams in South Africa and he's playing as an off-spinner. And then he comes over to England and he's one of the best batsmen to have ever played the game. So... Um, I think at one point in time, South Africa had the best residential team in England that became number one. <laughs> um, he had like seven South African players or something. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was certainly interesting. And I know some some people, some English cricket fans, don't like it. Um, for me, I just I think I just feel like as long as you're wherever you're from. If you fall, you know, if you qualify under the, the whatever rules are set out in whatever sport, then it's up to the individual. You know, like for instance, like Adam Hollyoak moved to the to the UK when he was a kid, so his career path had, or his decision to move to the UK had nothing to do with, um, you know, opportunities in cricket or whatever like that. It was just his family moved over. Whereas I think maybe some players over the more recent years maybe have moved around to enhance their opportunities to play international cricket. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It's just one of those things. Um, but now you find, I've, or I notice in more and more that other sports are doing exactly the same. Um, you've got, uh, there's some players playing for the Welsh football team who were born in England, which wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. But the the managers or the people in charge have just decided that they're going to use the rules, I suppose, to their advantage, and they go looking for players who've got Welsh grandparents or, you know, Welsh uh, relatives, so they would qualify, so they can enhance the pool of players they got to pick from, I guess. Um, there there lies another thing, the opportunity, with, most players will grab at that opportunity because they would not be getting opportunities in their own territory, like you say, the guys from England go and play for Wales, they may not be able to make the English rugby team or so on, so say they could go over to Wales and make the Wales team and vice versa for a lot of um, other countries, other sporting sporting aspects around the world. I think yeah, you have sure. someone like Jofra Archer as well that strengthens that point because yeah. um, Jofra would not have gotten into a Barbados team. team at the time at the time but now Joffre's a star and it would look like in hindsight how could he not have played but at the time he would not have gotten into the team so if, okay. if without that opportunity we probably would have not you would not even see a Joffre Archer, Archer you know? it's, in- it's incredible to think of isn't it because like if he hadn't have made that decision or the decision was made for him or whatever it may be he may not have developed into the player that he, you know, if he had exactly. decided to stay or, you know, made different decisions, he may not have developed at the same rate or under the same, you know, coaches or teammates. There's so many different aspects which go into a development of young players, particularly. Um, so, did you were you f- familiar with Joffre when he was like younger and in in and around that sort of Barbados scene? Uh, well, yeah, I was. Um, I'm pretty. I'm quite acquainted with a lot of the guys uh, playing now. Um, played a couple with them. Played a couple games 
against them. So he was always a good bowler, you know, 19 and in the younger days. Um, he had some injuries that set him back, but he was young, but he got over them. Well, coming to England and getting the treatment and stuff and working over here with the, the staff at Sussex and stuff. So for me, his decision was a great decision on his part. Um, I respect his decision no matter what. That's everyone has the right to make out their own mind what they want to do. So his decision for me was the perfect situation for him because at that time I would say he couldn't I wouldn't say he couldn't get in, but it would be hard to push up one of the senior bowlers in the Barbados team. And you all know playing for West Indies, you gotta go through play for Barbados to play for West Indies as well. So he did what he had to do to make to get everyone to notice him and be a star yesterday. Yeah, I guess, like, so another thing, which I'm giving all the interview away, which I did with Adam Hollyoak, but one of the things which um, he said about why he was so motivated when he played against Australia is the amount of um, grief and stick that he used to get from the Australian team, from the Australian media. They used to call him, you know, all sorts of names, a traitor and this, that and the other. What was the kind of general reaction uh, to Jofra Archer playing for England? I will say it was mixed emotions uh, for some people. Um, some people who knew him was great, was happy for him that he made a decision. Other people who didn't really know him say that, I would say, why he do this, why he going on, he be a traitor and that sort of stuff. But um, I would say, as we said just now, his decision to play for England was the best decision that he would ever make in his life. One of the best decisions he would ever made in his life. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's by the, like, the little which I know, the little you've said, seems like it, it changed his career path for the better. Um, Kieran, what do you think about that? Because I know, you know, there will be people who criticised his decision. But it's paid off for him. I'm happy for anyone that takes a chance. It does. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Takes a chance and believes in themselves and gets success. You know, because um, from so many different standpoints, just if you look at the health side of it, because um, as Miguel wrote mentioned, he was very injury prone. So it could have been a position where he wasn't even allowed to have a career if he stayed in the West Indies because. He might not have had access to the right treatment, you know. And then yeah. now, for him to be able to not only provide for himself, but setting himself up where he can provide for his family and all the different stuff he's doing outside of cricket as well, because obviously he's doing a great job in international cricket. But um, all the stuff he's doing outside as well, I think he started some uh, uh, parallel like uh, cricket supplies company, something of the sort. Um, we provide training equipment and stuff for people now, um, drift for balls and all that stuff, you know. And I think that's really great because to know, to have learned the story of where he's come from and where he is today and he has so much more to do to get to his ending point, you know, I think that's amazing and one could only wish, wish him well, not only now but the rest of his career and for anyone else that has to make a move like that because the West Indies, we also had Brendan Nash a few years ago. And, you know, it's sort of a reverse product where he came from Australia and played for the West Indies because of Jamaican parentage and he was eligible. So, I mean, it happens in in some countries more often than not, but it happens, I mean, regularly throughout the world these days. So it's, it's nothing to be frowned upon, you know. It's just, it's, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's... Um I think if you've got an opportunity to 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 get to the top of your field, whether you're a sportsman, whether you're a lawyer or whatever, a TV personality, a radio host, whatever it may be, if you can put the effort in and the time and you have the opportunity and you've got the dedication to get to the top of your field, whatever it may be, then why wouldn't you do it? And I think... To criticise anyone for that is harsh, in my opinion. Um, so, we, uh, Miguel, you mentioned that it was kind of like a, it was frowned upon a little bit. And it was maybe like a, 
controversial decision in some circles, um, which leads me into my question for you, which in some circles was controversial, I suppose. Um, so you, I, I'm not massively familiar with what the coal pack thing is, so I kind of don't want to get it wrong. But from what I can gather, um, you signed a coal pack uh, contract with Middlesex, which effectively ended your international career. Is that right? Is that the way it basically works? Yeah. So, I guess my question is, like, what um, what made you come to that decision and what made you effectively, you know, retire or give up international cricket? Oh, uh, it was tough because I enjoyed playing for West Indies. Um, I had a lot of opportunities. Um, could have had a lot of more opportunities, but for me, it was all about me looking after myself and me prolonging my career, per se. Um, for me, it's like I, I wanted to play a lot more cricket. I felt at the time I was just playing one here, one there, get left out, not looked at, not given a, a, a good run, per se, than others. I could be wrong in other people's eyes. I could not. But in my eyes, that's what I thought. Um, so I said, for me, taking a deal, I thought about it for a year. Talked to my close family and friends. I gave it a year, I gave it a shot. And then, even though I played a test match before I made my decision, I they already made up my decision that I was going to do it, no matter if I played or not. So it's for me, that to prolong my career, I have... A good good life in the um, cricketing area, um, provide for my family as well. Um, Primarily those along those lines. What was the um, what was the general reaction from the kind of West Indies side when you announced that or you told them that? Uh, when it was announced, uh, a lot of people were in shock. A lot of people, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people was against it. A lot of people tell me change my mind. A lot of people were like, they can't be doing that. We invested a lot. I was and my family took my family, especially my mom and those guys that were close to me tell me that whatever decision I made, they know that I'm making the best decision that will support me the rest of my life. So and I trust my family with all I have. So me yeah. making the decision was, the, I would say, the best part for me as well. Um, I'm enjoying playing for Middlesex. Um, we had a good um, staff here, good facilities, good people to be, good people around. So it's just for me to go here. I enjoy my cricket. I enjoy it as well. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, I think. Um I've always had the opinion that nobody has the right to tell any individual what's best for them because everyone's in the individual circumstances are different. Everyone's, um, everyone's goals, everyone's whatever it may be, you know, everyone's circumstances are different. So what, what is, what works and what is good for you might not be the same for, for me or for someone else. And it's, it's a personal decision. And, um, I've always felt that way. Kieran, were you surprised when you heard um, like of Miguel's decision? No, I mean, Miguel actually really um, good friends. So I'm one you kind of kinda knew it was coming, did you? Yeah, I'm one of the persons that he spoke to beforehand, and I actually think that he made he made the best decision because for some reason in the Caribbean, when you when you're starting to approach thirty, they deem it as though you're starting to approach seventy, and you're. <laughs> Um, which is wrong and having known Miguel from since he started playing for the West Indies because I was actually his A-team captain before he got selected for the West Indies team ah. that tour I said to the chairman of selectors because I was already playing in the West Indies team I said you have to pick him we have a series against Ireland coming up a one-day series and if he plays he gets that experience and then you could send him back to first class period but at least that would motivate him and that's when he made his um, international debut so I've known him. I've known him for a long time, and 
I just think that the way that the West Indies system operates, um, it's it's based around youth as opposed to um, letting the investment that you've made into people pay off, which I think now the county system is going to reap the benefits of Miguel. Um, because if you look at someone like a, a Fiddle Edwards, who's coming up to 40 now, and he's bowling faster than ever, taking 40, 50 wickets every county season, I think Middlesex are going to absolutely reap the ultimate rewards from the investment WICD couldn't wait to get from Miguel's bowling. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, like I say, for me, it's uh, it's up to the individual, isn't it? And um, I think nobody's got the right to to kind of question that, criticise that. Um, I'm sure there was some people who weren't happy, uh, but that's you know such is life. You know you can't please everyone all the time. Um, you've got to do what um, what's best for you. Um, I did get someone message me a question earlier on um, relating to the coal pack stuff, um, and they basically said that. Um, because some counties are signing uh, these players on coal pack deals, they're dropping uh, county players who have come up through their systems. Do you feel like, um, I don't know what the word is, but like, do you feel any sort of guilt or anything about that? Just that maybe some players who've come through the systems have been dropped because of the players signing these deals? No, I wouldn't say that. I'm just uh, it's like people are signing county player um co-pack players because they want at least some ex- a lot more experience in the team, guys that play at the highest level, guys that could give some information to the youngsters coming up. Um to, and just for the youngsters just to be around the dressing with people that played at the highest level, played against people that made a lot of runs, played with people that got a lot of the kids and just try to pick their brain from what I always say, I pick my brain from a lot of guys, so some people get the information from me as well. So I wouldn't say um, that is a bad is a bad thing, even though I'm, it's it's tough though to be honest. Some yeah, uh, of course. Go both it is tough, but I think for me, I think for everything is like people got core parts because they want a lot more experience in the team. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, you learn, especially as a young uh, athlete or just a young person, you learn by training or working or playing with uh, people who are elite, people who are the top of their game, people, like you say, you've played at that highest level. You get better from playing and training with those people every day. Um, So from that side of it, I can 100% see see the benefits um, to both the squad as a whole, but also to, to those young players, um, you know, at the end of it, there's, there's always many ways and many angles to look at things. Um, so, well, what I can say too is like, for me, I'm still learning as well, because there are a lot of guys that play international cricket in the Millsack team, like, and I, an example of Tim Murta, he has countless wickets at county level. And I'm, and I'm still learning a lot from him still. Um, there's Toby Roland-Jones. There's Steve Finn. I'm still learning a lot from those guys. And everyone's learning from everyone there. Some There's a couple of um, academy boys that know making their way into the first team around the guys. And they're enjoying, they're enjoying it with us, even though they're not playing as yet. But they're enjoying the knowledge that we're imparting on them some uh, most of the time in bowling, in fielding, in, but and just being around us, pretty much interacting with us. Yeah, and I guess like you know all the names you just mentioned, alongside yourself, um, training with you guys, talking to you guys every day is um, you know it's only gonna gonna help them in the long term um, in developing their cricket, developing as people, just all around. Uh, the benefits, I think, probably outweigh the any perceived negatives to it. I think, in my opinion, um, but you know, it is what it is. I suppose. Um, what's um, so? 
the COVID kind of put a spanner in the works, I guess. But what was um, what were your before the COVID and the break and everything? And then you know we don't know what sort of state the fixtures are going to be in now. But coming into the season, what were Middlesex's aims in terms of targets for the season? Oh. Uh, first thing, everyone thing is to win the championship. That's from the players' point of view. Um, from the coaching staff, every he the coaches like he want everyone to believe in it, believe in itself, believe in their preparation, believe in the technique, believe that you could go out there and score score the runs that you want, go out there and take the wickets that you want. So coming out of the camp is like just belief. Um, play as a team and Whatever outcome no one will fall you once you give hundred and ten percent on the field, everyone's gonna be happy. So just go out there and do your best. Yeah. I think it's uh, oh, there was one other question, sorry to go back to it. Um if the rules were to ever change, would you like to play for the West Indies again? If it was somehow possible? Of course. Man. Kieran, you should be playing now. Well, you should have been playing today. I don't <laughs> quite know why. Well, what's going on with that? We can't talk about that yet. We will I'm, I'm one day. You, I'm going to send you the number for the Kimono selectors. Yeah, I'll tell him. But I, I, I still like when I was editing last week's show, and I was listening to you talk about like you had scored the most runs and the guy who'd taken the most wickets, and both of you hadn't gone in a thirty-man squad. And I just look like I look at that from the outside, and I just think that's got that decision cannot have anything to do with cricket. It can't. Like you learn, just... you learn something new every day. You know, every time they give an excuse, it's um, it's to suit what agenda they're trying to fulfil. So. so ultimately, you have to roll the punches for as long as you can, and then you punch back. Yeah. So are you allowed to? Are you allowed? What are you allowed to say? What the reason you were given as to why you were not picked? I wasn't given a reason. I wasn't communicated to with or by anyone in Cricket West Indies. So I still don't know the reason. Personally. And it's it's funny because you've got guys in the squad that didn't even play in the first class competition. Incredible! It's it's bizarre to me, honestly. I um I I don't understand it at all. Um, okay. Um, so, question for both of you before we uh, move towards the uh, the quiz. What's the the fav- your favorite country that you visited through cricket? Um, Kieran, go on. We'll start with you. I'll answer for both of us. Australia. Yeah, <laughs> you both like Australia, do you? Yeah, it's a nice place. Is there a particular place in Australia, or just the country as a whole? Just the country in the whole. You know, I think Australia is just good for cricket. It's really competitive, you know. Um, England obviously has good crowd support and stuff, but Australia just gives you, because of their competitive nature, I guess that's why the Ashes is so intense because it just brings out the best of whoever they're competing against. Yeah, just aggressive cricket, isn't it? Like, in a good way, though. Like, And that's what I like about it. Um, so one of the questions which someone sent in was um what's the or have you have you ever been sledged and what is the worst that you've ever had said to you during a cricket match uh miguel will go to you first i, I don't think i've ever been sledged to be honest no I will, uh, fast I bowler in you they don't want to upset you the most thing i've been said was I batted too, uh, I poked too much <laughs> when we were at Coley. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I for almost an hour or something for not. For, mm-hmm. So I think that was as much as I could say I've been sledged on, to be honest. Uh, what about you, Kieran? No, I've, I've never been sledged down. I'd probably be the one doing the sledging. <laughs> not saying something. Not sledging in any racial ways or anything. Um, yeah. Just, Something um, just to get under players' skin or something. Something in passing, a joke or something. One of um, one of my favourite uh, kind of videos to watch 
when it comes to like sledging. I occasionally come across it on YouTube. Is um, is the one you know? It's uh, Flintoff and uh, who's it? Tino He gets under his skin real quick, and um, it's just the way it all kind of comes together. Like he, he just yeah, it's incredible to watch. He whirled him up. Oh yeah, just just constantly just little comments until he eventually just went whoop. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Who's the? Is that like if I asked you who's the who's the player who gets the most wound up or riled up during a match or from things people say? Does anyone spring to mind? No, Indian player. No, no. Uh, maybe Shannon. Maybe Shannon Gabriel. But you okay. don't. You don't have to say anything to Shannon. Shannon could just. That's but you are not like you. As in a fast nature, you get all feisty and all. Yeah. Blood pumping, so that's in a fast-paced nature. So Shannon, in the sense that if you play a shot that he didn't like, that's it for the rest of the day. Like all <laughs> over. What about um, like grumpy players? Anyone like really like just if if um, then maybe they don't like fielding or they don't like. Getting, if they get hit around and stuff, any sulkers? No one springs to mind. See, no, mm. not, not West Indian players. They're all too just too positive, aren't you? Like I'll say, I'll say we, we were trying to like bounce a bounce of life out of the picture or something. See it. Yeah. That's yeah. Fast bowlers don't want to annoy them. The ball will be whizzing around your head. Right, let's finish with a quiz. We're going to put you you against each other. Um, how many questions today? So there's eight questions. Um, they're all around England versus West Indies. Some are easier than others. So uh, yeah, let's have, a, let's have a see who's got the best uh, the best cricketing right. trivia knowledge. I think Colvin. You reckon? Yeah. He's probably going to give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Kieran's probably going to Google the answers now. Uh. <laughs> so, first question. Who was the English off-spinner who was bowling when Brian Lara swept the boundary for, to score 400? Gareth Batty. No, both wrong. Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson. Oh, you're talking about the 501. Yeah. The 501. No, no, 400, See, if that's wrong, that's Nye's fault, because he sent me that question. That's Gareth Batty. It's sure. Gareth Batty. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. i pull him up on that. He got it wrong. Nye. It's a bad start. The quiz master got the answer wrong. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Uh, since, two th- since the year 2000, the league- leading wicket-taker from the series between England and West Indies has been given the Malcolm Marshall Memorial Trophy. Only one player has won it twice. Who is it? Is it a member of this current squad? Yes. Is it either Roach or Anderson? Stuart Brown. Jimmy oh, Anderson. Oh, I know. It. I, I gave you gave you the two because you said him. So I know, oh, awesome. to, I know it had to be Anderson. Anderson or Roach. So it's Miguel is uh, 2-1 in the lead. He's racing into the lead. Um, before Brian Lara scored his unbeaten 375, not out, who held the previous record and how much was it? Matthew hit... Oh, Gary Sobers, 364. 365, sorry. So yeah, the answer was Gary Sobers, 365. So that makes you 2-all. And number four... Which England bowler did Chris Gale hit six fours in one over in a 2004 toast? <laughs> Easy for you both, this is. going to have to make a harder next time. Uh, so, 3-3. Three, three. Uh, which West Indian became the first player to ever score two centuries in a test match at Lords? It's a hard one, that is. At uh, Lords? Yeah. I'm going to go Garden Greenwich. No. 
I know it's more than three W's. Do we tell you? George Headley. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Uh, question number six. At, at Kingston in 1930, England's Andy Sandham set the record for the highest score by anyone playing in their last test. What was it? And I'll give you a choice of three because it's like 1930. Was it 325, 306, or 314? 314. 314. I'm going to go. 325. Oof. So that was a hard one, though. That was just getting a bit hard now. So in the, in the test between the two sides at Bridgetown in 1948... Uh, what did Fofi Williams become the first batsman to do? Hundred <laughs> after World War. That's, that's a good guess. It's wrong, but it's a good guess. Any guesses, uh, Miguel? No, I'm stumped. He was the first. Uh, he was the first guy to hit his first two deliveries of his innings for six. See, it's a tough one. So I reckon. You, should, you might get this one. This last one. Tiebreaker. Only one bowler has taken four wickets in and over in tests between England and West Indies. Andrew Caddick. Correct. Andrew Caddick. There we go. You drew. Impressive. Impressive knowledge. It's very impressive. I, I, I didn't think you'd get as many right, see? And I even chucked in a couple of ridiculously hard ones. Well, yeah, it's good. I, I enjoy should, them. I should, have, I should have won because I should have said Garth and Silvers. Yeah. Could have taken it. Yeah. Could have taken it. On sports money conduct. That's what friends are for. Let you back. <laughs> so, uh, just trying to see now if there's anything left which we could talk about. I think we covered most of the, the subjects on the docket. Um, Miguel, are you on social media? Yes, I am. I'm tell the people, tell the people what your social media uh, tags are. Uh, my social media is my Instagram is Miguel Cummins. Um, my Twitter account is my nickname Lamar underscore Pooh. Um, my Snapchat is Miguel Cummins as well. Pretty much. Why is that your nickname? I got it from my grandmom. Okay. I got it from a young age, and it kept with me through all through school, all through my grown-up life, and it still is. It still is here. People still call me that nickname out to this day. That's awesome. That that is cool. So <laughs> I like that. One thing we did forget to ask him is, who does he think is going to win the series? Yeah, there you go. Barring the weather, it's a draw. Um, but I'm going for a one-one. There we go. I think we did. We all go for a draw, Kieran. Uh, I'm going for a one-one. Uh, I went for a draw. I think Nye went for two-one to England. And you I went for a draw. draw. Yeah. Yes. I think it's going to get what I think it's going to rain and get washed out. This, to be honest. this, this I, I reckon this whole game is going to be null and void. England going to win the first one in Manchester and Vasil going to win the last one. Not bad. Um, Kieran, tell people where your social media is. Official current poll. There we go. There we go. Everywhere. And um, yeah, follow. you can follow this show, which I set up uh, the last couple of days, uh, at stateofplay underscore so uh, give that a follow as we'll try and grow that and post clips and stuff on there as well. And um, you can follow Ace Podcast Nation at AceCast underscore Nation on Twitter and uh, Ace Podcast Nation on Instagram. And um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have loads of good shows. We've got uh, former England international Liverpool striker Emil Heskey coming on next week live on Monday. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Adam Hollyoak and uh, got a couple of other Little guests lined up from the sporting world. So uh, join us. 
But uh, Miguel, thank you for joining us, mate. I really uh, enjoyed having a chat. And you, Kieran, cool. as usual. And uh, Miguel, you're welcome to come back anytime, mate. Thank you, man. Cheers, Kieran. And I'll, I'll see you next time. Cheers. Network.